Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. God, we thank you for this passage that we have before us. We thank you for this season that we get to celebrate and remember that your son Jesus has come and has fulfilled the promises made in the Old Testament. And it's also a a season to have the assurance that if Christ came once, we know that he will come again as he promised to complete and fulfill everything that is left to be fulfilled. We thank you that we belong to you. We thank you that uh, we are a part of your, uh, of your people, of your flock. And we thank you that Jesus is our good shepherd. Lord, please uh, speak to us. Let us hear your voice today and your word. Let us follow you. And um, please fill us with your spirit, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's read Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to ask you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata. Who are, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure for now. Sorry, they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is the word of God. All right, so uh, one of the things that, that I like in movies, sometimes, not always, but you know those movies that open up with a really like, Ran, not random, but kind of like a scene that doesn't feel like the beginning of a movie. It feels like it's a scene of something that has been going on for a while, right? It's kind of like a cliffhanger. It opens with something happening, and, and immediately you wonder, okay, what, what led to this point? What led to, to, to this movie opening like this? And then, of course, that scene ends, and then you get the line that says, six weeks uh, before that, or, or, you know, six hours before this, or whatever, you know, whatever the movie 
is going to do. Well, basically what we have here in chapter 5, verse 1, is that, to a certain degree. We open this scene, this prophecy, this oracle that, that Micah is giving. We, we have a scene where Jerusalem is surrounded by an army. Jerusalem is being uh, besieged by this huge army. And so if you, know, if you kind of follow the, 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 the pattern or the message, the things that Micah is saying, if you, if you know the history of what's happening at the time, well, we learn that this army that is besieging Jerusalem, this is the Assyrian army. And just a, just a quick reminder on, on uh, biblical history, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. And they were kind of basically treated as two different nations. And the, the northern kingdom was more sinful than the southern kingdom. They were more rebellious. And so the kingdom of Assyria actually came and wiped them out. As a result of their sin, the kingdom of Assyria, they came and they destroyed them. They took Samaria, which was the capital, and they destroyed them completely. But the kingdom of Assyria, the Assyrian armies, actually made it to the southern kingdom, and they started, they started attacking many of the, most, of the most important cities in the southern kingdom, and they actually successfully conquered all of those cities and then, once they were ready to attack Jerusalem, once they were besieging uh, uh, Jerusalem, then God miraculously delivered the people of Israel. The king of Assyria had to go back to, to, you know, back to his homeland, and then eventually he died. And so that was God delivering the southern kingdom from Assyria. But... This scene here in chapter 5 basically opens with the kingdom of Assyria surrounding Jerusalem. And that's why Jerusalem is told to gather, to muster her troops, to be ready because there is siege against them. And, and that's why it says that uh, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek because they attacked them. They were so close to defeating them, but then at the very end, God defeated them. And so it turned out to be just a slap on the cheek instead of a complete destruction of the southern kingdom, or also known as Judah. But I think this begs the question of saying, how did we get here? How did we end with Jerusalem surrounded by the Assyrian army? How did we, end to, how did we get to the point where Jerusalem is having to muster their troops and is having to get ready for battle? And so what Micah does at the beginning of the book he is speaking from God. He is giving a word from God where God is denouncing the people of Israel. And he is telling them that because of their rebellion, because of their sin, because of their wickedness, they are suffering this invasion. Because of their, because of their disobedience to God's law and their unfaithfulness to the covenant that they made with God, they are suffering for this but there's something, something more that, that Micah does. He actually brings it to a sharper conclusion. And he says that actually this is happening because Israel has wicked rulers. Wicked leaders, wicked prophets. The people that are, that are in charge of leading the people of Israel, they are actually wicked. And instead of taking care of the sheep, they are devouring the sheep. And instead of caring for them, they're actually stealing from them. 
And instead of speaking the truth to them, they're actually lying to them. And it is so bad that basically because of the leader, because of the wicked leaders of Israel, God's judgment and punishment has come upon them. Now, let's be clear. It was not just the leaders, right? The people of Israel, they were also disobedient. But, but here, this is, this is uh, Micah denouncing the leaders of Israel. So just, you know, just to give you a, a taste of what these leaders were doing, let's read Micah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is a word from God. It says, And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat, their, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. And then in verse 9, it says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who built Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So these are the rulers. These are the, these are the prophets. These are the people that should have been caring and shepherding the people of Israel. But instead they are abusing them. They're manipulating them. They are bribing or they are taking bribes from them. They are stealing from them. And ultimately they are bringing God's judgment upon them. And so... This is, this is the context of why Assyria is surrounding the city of Jerusalem. This is the explanation. This is what happened before Assyria is surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And basically, in this passage that we're about to, to look at and to study, this is God's rulers, right? God is denouncing the, the wicked rulers of Israel, and he, is send, and he is saying, I am sending you my own ruler." my own king, the one who will actually deliver you, the one who will actually shepherd you. And, and before we get into that, I think I was just kind of thinking about, you know, can we identify with the people of Israel in terms of bad leadership? And I, I think we can. I mean, on a national level, right? I think we can, we can see that our nation, because of our own wickedness, because of the, the wickedness of our nation, and the wickedness of our leaders who are devouring the people, who are stealing from the people, who are lying to the people, we see that our country is going from bad to worse, right? And then I was also thinking, well, what about the church? Well, hopefully you don't feel that way about Jordan and I. We're not trying to do any of those things. But I was thinking about the, the church as a whole, the church in America, in this country, and not every church. But you don't have to look very far to see corrupt church leaders. You don't have to look very far to see that there are leaders of the church that are manipulating the church, that are devouring 
the church that are stealing from the church, leaders that either capitulate with evil, with the world, or leaders that are, <coughs> that are not representing the leadership of Christ, the humble leadership of Christ. And so we definitely see this problem for all of us. And so I think we can identify with the people of Israel, right? We might not have the Assyrian army surrounding us, but I think all of us can identify with the people and saying, there is bad leadership in this country, in the church, in the world. There's just bad leadership. And we cannot set our hope on the leaders of this world, on the rulers of this world. There is only one ruler that we can trust. And that is the Lord Jesus. And so basically what we're going to do here, we're going we're gonna to look at, these, uh, at the next verses that we have, verses 2, 3, and 4, and we're going to bask in Jesus' attributes as God's appointed ruler. That's, that's all we're going to do. This, that's, this is the message. It might actually be super short. Who knows? But we're going to look at the attributes of Jesus, at the characteristics of Jesus. We are going to see who this promised leader and ruler is is and what he is like. So God's ruler is the one who alone has the authority to lead, but he doesn't lead the way that the world does. He doesn't devour the sheep. He shepherds the sheep, and he ultimately gives his own life for his sheep. This is the ruler that we have. So First of all, we see that God's ruler, Jesus, is a humble descendant of David. We see that in verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And so when we look, when we see the words Bethlehem, Ephrathah, this immediately should bring us back to King David, right? This is the, the birth town of King David. And King David is said to be a man after God's own heart. This speaks of both Jesus's humility as having been born in Bethlehem, as being from the line of David, who was a humble, uh, a humble little shepherd. But it also speaks of Christ's lineage, right? He is the king that comes from the line of David. I mean, think about David for a moment. Where was he when Samuel went to look, and maybe let's ask the kids here for this. Uh, let's ask the kids this question. All right, kids, ready? Here's your question. So King David, before he became king, do you remember that Samuel, who was God's prophet, was sent to David's house to choose a new king? But here's the question. Did he find the king right away? No, where was the king? That's right. He was shepherding the sheep. He was taking care of the sheep, right? Samuel looked at David's brothers and he saw that they were tall and handsome and strong. And he said, oh, surely this, this, has, to be the, this has to be the new king. But it was none of them. The actual king, he was taking care of the sheep. He was a humble boy who was taking care of the sheep. And so this should remind us, right, the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem should remind us that, yes, he is the descendant of David. He comes from the line of David, but it also reminds us of his humility. Jesus, the king of the world, the king of the universe, was born 
in the little insignificant town of Bethlehem, that it wasn't even worth being mentioned when the list of the cities of Judah was made in Joshua. So Jesus is a humble descendant of David. He is not like the rulers of this world. Are the rulers of this world humble? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But Jesus, he is our king, but he is a lowly king. Number two, God's ruler is after God's own heart. This one is actually uh, easy to miss. But notice again in verse two, how it says, uh, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me. This is God speaking, and he's saying, it shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel. The problem with the wicked leaders of Israel and the problem with the wicked leaders that we have is that they don't care about God's will is that they don't care about God wants, is that they don't operate for God's sake. They operate for their own sake. They don't look at God's interests. They look at their own interests. All they want is to become richer. They want to become more powerful. They want to uh, uh, just gain everything for themselves. But Jesus is a ruler who will come forth for God on behalf of God, who will do God's will. And so we are right to submit to this kind of ruler who is doing God's will. We are right to submit to this kind of ruler who when he was at the garden of Gethsemane about to go to die on the cross, he said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. One of the difficulties with the, with the leadership that we have in this world is that very few people submit to the authority of God. And so how can we fully uh, submit ourselves and trust someone who is not even submitted to the authority of God, right? There is an aspect in which, yes, we are called to submit to, to, to the rulers that God has placed, you know, the earthly rulers that God has placed over us, but we cannot set our hope on them because they do not submit to God's will. Only Jesus submits to God's will. Number three, God's ruler is divine. He is God. Notice in, in again, verse two, it says, uh, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Jesus is ultimately eternal. Jesus is God. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem as a baby, but that was his incarnation. But Jesus has existed forever, right? Think of the words we find in John 1 where he says, in the beginning was the word, he's talking about Jesus, and the word was with God and the word, sorry, and the word was God. This is telling us that Jesus has existed from the beginning. Jesus from the beginning was with God, with the Father, but Jesus from the beginning was God. He has always been God. And then we have, again, in John, I can't remember what verse, but in chapter 1, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And that's what we celebrate, right, on Christmas. We celebrate that the Word, that God Himself, that Jesus, who is God Himself, He became flesh and He dwelled among us. 
This is the kind of king we have. We have a king who is divine, a king who is God himself. We do good to submit to Jesus because he is humble, because he does God's will. But we also worship Jesus because, because he is God himself. He is divine. Number four, God's ruler is the greater Moses. So in verse three, it says, Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. So here it's saying that, God, that, that the people of Israel will be under the power of another, another people, right? Ultimately, even though God delivered them miraculously from, from the Assyrian Empire, because they continued to disobey God, the Babylonian Empire came and the Babylonian Empire took them into captivity. They went into exile. They were away from the presence of God literally and spiritually. But even after they came back to the promised land, their hearts were still not surrendered to God. Their hearts were still in rebellion against God. But when Jesus was born, he came as the better Moses to bring the people back to the promised land. But this is a spiritual bringing of God's people to the promised land. This is Jesus bringing people back to faith in God. Back to the promised land, back from the exodus, back from captivity. And if you think about it, all of us, we're in captivity because of our sins, because of the curse of this world. But Jesus, the better Moses, he is the one that comes and brings us back to God. So he is the better Moses. Number five, God's ruler is firmly established. In verse 4, we read a very short sentence, and he shall stand. That's it, and he shall stand. And this very short sentence says so much. Because while the leaders of this world, the, the corrupt leaders of this world, the leaders of Israel... The people in power today, as bad and as powerful as they might be, we know that their dominion will come to an end, right? We know that they will eventually die. They will eventually lose power. But what we know about Christ is that his kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is firmly established. We, we can hope in Christ. We can surrender to him. We can Accept him as our ruler and as our leader because we know that his kingdom will stand. Think of the words that we find in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Jesus is God's ruler whose kingdom is firmly established and is eternal. Number six, God's ruler does not devour the sheep, but shepherds God's flock. And I believe that this is one of the main points that this passage is making. Especially in light of the context of, all, of these other rulers that are devouring the sheep, that they eat them. I mean, you, you, you heard the language, you read the language, it's, it's gruesome, right? They're devouring their flesh from off their bones, they're filleting them. It's, it's just a horrible carnage. But Jesus is the good shepherd who instead of devouring the sheep, he cares for the sheep. He shepherds the sheep. He gives his own life for the sheep. Verse 3 in, in Micah 5, sorry, verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Jesus is the good shepherd who who cares for us. Think about that. You, can, you, can, you have to surrender to him because of his power, because of who he is, because he is God himself, because he has all dominion and authority. But also you can surrender to him because he is a loving, caring leader who cares for you, who feeds you, who takes care of you. Think, think of Psalm 23 and think about how these words are fulfilled in Jesus, who is our good shepherd. In Psalm 23, we read, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, Jesus, restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is our good shepherd who cares for us. And then Jesus picks up on this, on this particular theme and brings it up in John chapter 10. And I'm going to read John chapter 10, verses 9 through 18, and see how Jesus identifies himself with this good shepherd that we see here in Micah 5 and in Psalm 23. John chapter 10, starting in verse 9. And as I read this, think about Christ's care and love and sacrifice for you. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and, sc and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is the good shepherd who protects us, protects us from the wolves, protects us from the thieves, protects us from bad leaders. Jesus is the good shepherd who feeds us. He is the good shepherd who speaks to us, right? And we hear his voice and we follow him. That's, one of the, that, that's a part of our mission statement here at Kaleo. We follow Jesus because he is our good shepherd. We are the sheep and we follow him. We do whatever he asks us to do. It is comforting to hear his voice because we know that he cares for us. And then most important of all, he gave his life for his sheep. Did you catch that? He's saying, no one is taking my life from me. I am giving it of my own accord. Jesus voluntarily gave his life for the sheep. That's how much he loves the sheep. And then lastly, going back to Micah, I think it's number seven. God's ruler is a universal ruler. At the end of verse four, we read, well, the sheep will, shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the ruler of Israel, the ruler of God's people. But ultimately, he is the ruler of the whole world. Did you catch in, in John 10, 16, how he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so they will be one flock with my shepherd. Who do you think those other sheep are? That's us. That's us. We are the other sheep that were not from that fold originally, that were not from the fold of the nation of Israel. But Jesus says, they are my sheep as well, and I have to go and get them. If it were not for that, we could not be a part of God's flock. If it were not for Jesus' love and mercy and these promises that he will be great through all the earth, to the ends of the earth, then we could not be a part of this. But it was God's plan from the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, it was God's plan that we would be included in this flock as well. 
Because Jesus, our good shepherd, he went out, he went to the cross, and he died on the cross to reconcile us to God and to make us a part of God's flock. Jesus is the ruler that God sends who shepherds all of his people. And therefore, we listen, we hear his voice, and we come to him. So, how should we respond to to this ruler that God has provided for us? Well, I have a few things here. Number one, we worship him. If he is God, right? If he is divine, if he truly is the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, then we have to worship him. Yes, we have to submit to him as our king and we have to listen to him as our shepherd, but we have to worship him because he is God. Number two, how do we respond to him? We submit to him. He is a good leader. He is a good ruler. And we do good to submit to him, to, do your, to say your will be done. Not to go out in rebellion like the people of Israel did and like the, the leaders of Israel did but to go in submission and obedience and say, Jesus, your will be done. Number three, we should rest in him. He is a good shepherd, not a bad shepherd. He's not out there to devour you. He's not out there to destroy you. He gave his life for you. And so we can rest in him. We can rest secure. Do you think that the sheep, when they're inside the flock or, or inside the pen, do you think that they're worried that, you know, the, bat, the, the wolves and the coyotes and all those animals are going to get them if they know that the shepherd is right there? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Jesus is our good shepherd, and we don't have to be worried. We can rest secure. Also, how do we respond to him? We should listen to his voice. Right? I don't think I, I, now that I think about it, I don't think that I read that part of John 10, but Jesus says that he is a good shepherd and the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. And so if Jesus truly is our good shepherd, then we should hear, we should listen to his voice. We should listen to his voice in his word. We should listen to him as we pray. And so what practical steps are you going to take to be able to hear Jesus' voice? Right? You can't just sit around and, and, expect him to talk out of nowhere. We have to take the steps and say, okay, Jesus, I want to hear from you. Let me come to your word. I want to hear from you. I want to follow you. And so as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, as we prepare to celebrate Jesus' Jesus's first advent, let us have this response of hearing his voice. And then uh, the last thing here for a response is we should proclaim his birth and his rule to the whole world, right? If his name shall be great to the ends of the earth, then we should do what, what the song says and, and go and tell it on the mountain, right? We should go and proclaim that Jesus is born, that Jesus is king, that he is the good shepherd, that he cares for us, that he loves us that he gave his life for us so that those other sheep that are part of this, a, a part of the flock or that are not part of the flock, but Jesus is going to get them, that they would hear this message, that they would come to him.
So Jesus is not out there to devour us, but Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for us, who feeds us, who protects us, who speaks to us. So let us hear his voice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love, for your humility. We thank you that you are a ruler and king after God's own heart. We thank you that you submitted to the Father. You listened to the Father and you went to the cross for us. You are the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Lord, Lord Jesus, we worship you. We want to submit to you. We want to hear your voice and submit to your word. In your name we pray. Amen.